Enjoy the convenience of seven days a week banking and extended hours with Cube from First Arkansas Bank and Trust, member FDIC. Connor O'Gara of Saturday Down South here on the Jones and Son Bridal and Fine Jewelry Hotline. And Connor, as always, man, appreciate you joining us. How you doing? Doing well, guys. You know, I feel like Arkansas is, uh, you know, to borrow a line from Chris Stapleton, the place to be right now. I feel like the vibes has got to be um, about as high as they've been. Like, outside of what, Jalen Williams coming back, that's about the only thing that could have made the vibes even better in Arkansas right now? Yeah, probably so. I mean, if that here's the thing. So far this year, knock on wood, the worst thing that happened to the Razorbacks in sports has been Jalen Williams not coming back. So if that's the worst thing that's happened – you're in pretty good hands, and you know, you're living life right. So hopefully it keeps going, man. But by the way, have you watched much of uh, college baseball? Out of curiosity, are you a fan of college baseball, or are you just all football? So I, I'm mostly football. So like I, that's pretty much what I'm dialed into. Joe Cox does such a great job for us on SaturdayDownSouth.com covering all things college baseball. But you know, seeing just kind of the way that this has kind of played out a little bit with some of these high scoring games that we had. You know, this past weekend, it's it's crazy. You know, I, I was saying the other day, it feels like in all sports, we essentially have gotten to this place. Like what I get to when I go to Top Golf, like I start off, you know, with my irons or whatever, and I'm like just trying to hit the targets, and I'm actually caring about the the points and whatnot. And then I hit like some point twenty minutes in where I say, all right, just give me the driver. I just want to hit the back wall. I feel like we're at that place in baseball with the, the home run boom launching all these different things. It's like we're at that place in basketball with obviously the rise of the three-point shot and then obviously in football as well with the, the rise of the passing game. I know that's like a really broad trend, but it feels like this past weekend in college baseball, man, the ball, ball was just flying out of the yard all over the place in Arkansas obviously being a big part of that. Well, I'll tell you this. I'm excited to see how it all goes down with Arkansas, too, because like you said, they struggled with offense, and then boom, offense started happening uh, pretty effectively for them in this regional as well as a lot of other teams, too. And we know that in the football side of things with Sam Pittman, because we were talking about a little bit uh, previously with him signing this new contract and some of the comments that he was making about it, it seems like uh, the contract he signed is a unique one. Now, I know that there's probably some other contracts. I think Mark Stoops maybe at Kentucky – has something a little similar, but and so incentive based, and the fact that it's set up to where if you lose or if you're losing, that kind of protects the U of A a lot more than what it does protecting the coach with these massive buyouts. But do you think that the contract that Sam Pittman signed is going to be something that more coaches start signing with schools, or do you feel like this is an anomaly and it's kind of unique and that's probably all it's going to be? It is unique. Um, I feel like if it, if this contract had come out like two or three years ago, which I realize is impossible because obviously the same pivot started in 2020. But in theory, if it had come out like two to three years ago, and if we had a proof of concept with it, it would become more the norm. Instead, what was the trend this past offseason with coaching hires? Ten-year fully guaranteed contracts. There there are going to be so many coaches and agents who walk in to say, hey, you know, Mel Tucker's got a ten-year guaranteed deal. James Franklin's got a ten-year guaranteed deal. Brian Kelly, you know, Lincoln Riley, all these different guys. And so that's what I fear is going to become the norm more so than this deal, which, I mean, I tip my hat to Hunter Yurchak at every, every chance I get. This is just another reminder that he is fully in charge of the way that these negotiations are going down. And I credit Sam Pittman for having the awareness to, to go after a deal like this. You know, I think when we saw in December that it was confirmed that Sam Pittman had switched representation to Jimmy Sexton, 
I think there was a little bit of this this fear that he would sign a Will Muschamp-like deal. And instead, you know, you brought up the comp, Mark Stoops. That's what I think this deal is like. And there are Kentucky fans who look at that and they're like, yeah, I have no problem re-upping him for winning seven games, adding another year to the end of that contract. That's great. They're closer to building a statue of that guy than they are firing him. So I think you look at this buyout, too, and I did the breakdown. Let's say worst-case scenario, Arkansas has a bad two years coming up here. They can get out of that contract at the end of the 2023 season, which, remember, also part of this contract that, that stayed in place was that it's an incentive-based buyout as well, which is just almost unheard of in this era to have only half of that buyout owed if the record is sub-500, and then if it's over that, then it would be three-quarters of his remaining salary. So in theory, if he has two bad seasons where it's like, all right, he goes 5-7 and seven this year, you know, 6-6 six and six next year, 5-7, and seven, whatever it is, Seven and a half million bucks is all they would have to pay to get out of that. Go look at that Chad Morris buyout and tell me that seven and a half million bucks with the success and prominence that Sam Pittman has brought back to the program wouldn't be worth spending. Again, that's worst case scenario in my opinion. So I think this deal is great, and I love the way that it was approached from all angles. Also, a big part of this is uh, Sam Pittman will be rewarded, of course, because of winning, and there comes the incentives, but. There's deferred money that's in t- attached to this contract. So yep. if he's long staying within the next three years or so, he'll be rewarded with some deferred money that's in the contract. Yeah, and who isn't, though? I mean, like, raises are, they're very standard. I mean, I'm, I'm doing this breakdown right now of the Jimbo Fisher contract. And if you're an Arkansas fan who got a little bit of sticker shock when you saw the Sam Pittman contract, just divert your attention over to the Jimbo Fisher contract and tell me how you feel about it after looking at that. I mean, the bonuses that are in place, though, are I think make a lot of sense. It's, what, $250,000, that would be the raise if you win seven games, five hundred grand for eight, and then $750,000 for nine wins. And I think you would look at that, and you would do the breakdown of, okay, so let's say dream season for Arkansas, in my opinion, would be going to the college football playoff, right? Like, not win a national championship, go to the college football playoff, win an SEC championship. If that happens, Sam Pittman's winning SEC coach of the year. He's probably winning national coach of the year as well. I did that breakdown. You'd essentially be paying him $7 million for that type of season. Dan Mullen just got paid $7 million last year. All right? And I don't need to explain to the great people of Arkansas how that turned out. So there is a lot of incentive, but at the same time, it feels like this is such a great all-around situation for Arkansas because they get rewarded. Obviously, if Sam Pittman wins, and then there is not necessarily that, that risk that often comes with these second contracts in the SEC. So uh, the breakdown of the Jimbo Fisher contract, realistically, when could they get out of that contract? Because you're talking about, say, if they went 7-5 and five this year, 8-4, and four, and fans would be chirping about they should be better, they would owe them 85 mil. So they're not going to be able to get out of that contract now. So realistically, when could they get out of it? Um, <laughs> funny you ask that. Uh, look, if we're, we're, we're talking about a different set of, uh, of pockets in college station. I think we can all agree on that. Regardless of what Jimbo Fisher said about their involvement with NIL to sign this historic recruiting class, I, I think we could all agree that A&M is not lacking funds. You don't sign a coach to a 10 year, fully guaranteed $75 million contract at the end of the 2017 season and not have some deep pockets. We know that he got that raise uh, before the start of this past season. And now the numbers are just, they're absolutely insane. I mean, think about how much we talked about the Gus Malzahn contract in that buyout, which was $21.5 million to pay him. 
A&M will not have a buyout to pay Jimbo Fisher that is less than $50 million until the end of the 2026 season. The buyout drops to a whopping $48,750,000, which is more than any buyout of this past season. Dabo Sweeney was number two on that list of richest buyouts, and I realize that changed now with all these 10-year guaranteed contracts. But Dabo Sweeney would, would have still been paid $47.5 million if he were fired at the end of last season. That is how insane this contract is. And it's different for Jimbo compared to some of these others who, like, if you look at Mel Tucker, you know, you look at Lincoln Riley, Brian Kelly, like, these guys are at least in year one. We're four years into Jimbo Fisher, and he's still getting this Kevin Sumlin comps. So I think that that, that's the risk, obviously, that's associated with it. Anybody that tells you Jimbo Fisher is on the hot seat this this year just hasn't looked at his contract. It's as simple as that. Well, and it's funny you brought that up because the the thought process I have with some of these contracts and everything, I'm not saying every coach is like this because I still think there's a pride thing, but – you know, there could be also some times where with all these huge buyouts where if a coach, maybe maybe the job isn't going as well as he thought or maybe he's not recruiting as well as he was hoping or maybe uh, the fan base is kind of getting upset, then he just kind of looks like it as, okay, I could work really hard and not be good and get fired or I cannot work hard at all and still have the same results and get fired. And either way, I still get paid. I just feel like there could be some problems with com- some complacency with some of these coaches. Not all of them. I get pride's a thing, but – where they just may be like, if things if they can see the writing on the wall, they're like, ah, I'll mail it in, and they'll, they'll still pay me. I think there is, there, there's got to be at least some of that. And, you know, I, I think there's a reason that coaches are so eager to get to the SEC and why that's become the norm, really, in, in the playoff era especially, and why you don't see coaches leave the SEC for other jobs. I mean, let's think about the last time that happened where a coach left the SEC for a a different job, you know, without getting fired or something like that, where they left on their own accord. It was James Franklin at the end of the 2013 season, went from Vandy to Penn State. I think we can all agree that that's an upgrade. But there's a reason why these coaches come to the SEC. It's because that buyout money, and especially with Jimmy Sexton attached to so many of these coaches, they're getting paid no matter what. You know, like, say what you will about – you know, the, the likes of, uh, of Gene Chizik and Gus Malzahn, like those guys, they got their money. They made sure that they were getting that money and they were better off for it. I mean, Ed Odron got, what, $19 million last year to go away and, you know, after two really, really disappointing seasons post-national championship. So I, I think that there's, this, there's always going to be that dynamic, and that's why the SEC covets the best coaches as well because, it has these buyouts in place, and whether there is that complacency or not, I don't know. I think these coaches are still super competitive, but man, the money has just gotten to a place that I think even you know six, seven years ago, none of us could have imagined. How does Jimbo's contract compare to like Nick Saban? Because you think about the gold standard in college football, and you know he's making a lot of money, but how does it compare as far as buyouts and uh, what the future looks like on his contract? I mean, Jim, Jimbo Fisher's buyout last year, if they wanted to fire him at the end of the 2021 season, which would have been, uh, you know, give the old extension in the fall and then fire him at the end of the season, the, the Jeremy Pruitt move, um, they, they would have paid him $94 million, I mean, uh, basically $95 million. Nick Saban's buyout last year was $38 million bucks. I mean, like way, way different. Obviously, they're never going to fire Nick Saban at Alabama. Uh, it will never get to that point. But, you know, the, the success is, is what changes things, of course. You know, we're talking about a coach that has been to, what is it, six of the last seven national championships. 
I mean, come on, like we're we're in a, a different world as we talk about Jimbo Fisher as it relates to to Nick Saban. You know, you could do a really good side by side of Jimbo Fisher next to Mark Stoops based on the last five seasons and question which one's the better coach, even though one of them was at Florida State and Texas A&M and one of them was at Kentucky. I mean, Nick Saban and the money that he's owed, you know, you could argue, of course, that he's underpaid and that he's worth more like 20 or $25 million a year because of what he's brought to that university and the fact that they are the closest thing to a sure bet to at least reach the national championship and what that does for a specific program is insane. I mean, A&M is just trying to win a division title in the 21st century. That's what they're trying to do here. And meanwhile, Alabama is the gold standard. They're the most dominant program in the history of college football in this this era. So, I mean, I, I think it's just a totally different conversation. And the buyout doesn't really need to be that much. The buyout, they can make about $100 million for Nick Saban this year. It's not going to matter because they would never fire him. O'Connor, one of the things that uh, I wanted to ask you about, too, is what this means for recruiting when you have contracts like Sam Pittman's and kind of shows coaching stability, which – I think is always something that gets thrown around. But when you talk about recruiting or transfers or whoever, and you're doing the power rankings of, of course, generally speaking, power rankings of what matters the most to recruits, where would you put coaching stability? Because we know NIL is a big thing now and championships and player development and all that. But uh, where would you put coach stability as far as ranking among recruits and where they view that? It's definitely not at the highest. I, I think it matters to a certain extent. I, I think that that's part of the spell. I mean, I, I think if, you, if you're a recruit, it's still, you know, they, they say commit to a school, not a coach. I, I get all that. That's easier said than done. Like if you commit to play in an air raid offense, and you, and like you're, you know, you're a quarterback and then all of a sudden they're going to the triple option. You're thinking, all right, I need to find another place to be able to play. And that's why, you know, it's really difficult to, to go by one of those specific things. You know, it is, it is part, and I think that's what some of these boosters are banking on with these contracts, why these buyouts are, are so high. They're almost forcing themselves into stability. The interesting case study is going to be Mississippi State with Mike Leach. This is something I've been talking about since January. He's got two years left on his contract. Remember, state contracts in Mississippi cannot be more than four years. He has not re-upped with an extension. If Mike Leach is able to actually recruit, and if they end up having like a top 20 class or something like that, for 2023, I think that would kind of throw all that out the window because if he hasn't agreed to an extension yet, he's got so few years left on his deal. Because remember, the initial deal was four years, 20 million bucks. I think that would really put, kind of put all that into question to make make a lot of people say, ah, how much does it really matter about uh, you know, this, this sort of stability in the recruiting world? But that's one that I've got my eyes closely peeled to. I think it's more about just the, the caliber of coach, whether or not you believe them more so than the specific contract details. But obviously the agents of these coaches say, hey, you can't coach unless it's on a four-year deal. He's got to be able to recruit and do all those things. But I think there's a little bit something more to be said for that. Well, Mike Leach needs to look across the state at Lane Kiffin and the way his contract is set up because he has the automatic extension built in and it rolls over each year. Yeah, I think, I think it's uh, – well, the, so I actually just – I don't know that Kiffin has the automatic extension. He's gotten two extensions, but I don't think he has the automatic extension in the same way that Stoops does and the way that, that Pittman now has it um, with that breakdown with it just tacked on. He's just gotten those two extensions because, I mean, he elevated the floor of the program year one, and then obviously what he did this past year, having the best regular season in Ole Miss school history, I think that he just was able to get those those two extensions. And his, you know, his new deal is – it's pretty lucrative. I think he's in the, the neighborhood of like six to seven million bucks, if I'm not mistaken, on that. 
But I think that the, the re-upping, we, we see that a lot with these contracts in the state of Mississippi. And I, I think if they had finished under different terms in, in Starkville, I think we're talking about, yeah, Leach would have another year added to his deal at least. But instead, they have the dud in the egg bowl, and then they just get rolled against Texas Tech in the bowl game, which was supposed to be this Leach revenge game. And now it's kind of like, oh, boy, you know, they could fire him at the end of this year and, and pay him you know, five million bucks to, to go away. So that's that's just a, a very unique situation there um, in Starkville. And I think it's something that, you know, I, we're going to be following this leech contract pretty closely. Well, Connor, man, as always, we appreciate you joining us and uh, enjoy a little bit more of the off season and c- try to catch up on some college baseball too, man. It's going to be a great one, hopefully, in Chapel Hill for the Razorbacks. I will. I'll be following all the tweets. I mean, I'll be expecting 20-run 20, 20 outputs. <laughs> each and every single game in Chapel Hill, anything less than that, and we'll, we'll just consider a defensive struggle. Yeah, there you go. There you go, man. Appreciate it. Have a great weekend, my man. Absolutely. Appreciate it, guys.